whole thing there is who. Yeah? Again, with, I want to go back on that train thing. Really, in a sense, there's no train ride without a passenger. The train isn't experiencing the ride. The train ride is based on the passenger. This is realizing or entertaining you're not the passenger. That's sort of like being in the station. The station witnesses all the trains coming and going. Accent on both. Coming and going. Mostly because we're out to lunch, we don't see it coming. And because we don't see it coming, it doesn't seem to go. But if you start letting it go, you'll realize it's coming. Yeah? You'll get like a beep, beep in the tunnel. Before yeah. you see it, you'll, yeah, there'll be a sense something's cooking. You'll feel an dis-ease arising, and then the thought starts speeding up. So that's the train coming. Once you see it coming, yeah, see it coming, not go with it. See it coming, then it's natural, its nature is to go. And so being the station, the station never takes a train. If it took the train, it wouldn't be the station. So basically, your consciousness is the station in a sense. It's witnessing all the trains. Yeah, you witness the thing. And the witnessing can get more acute over time. You can see it's like the hallway of shit and fans, yeah? It's, most people live in the consequential level of that. They're, they're like, it's like a gauntlet. They're running the hallway of shit and fans hoping they don't get hit, you know? But they have a tendency to look at, oh, I hear something, and that's the fan going on. Oh, I see something moving, that's the shit, and then you get hit with the shit. And, you know, obviously, it's late, too late then, yeah? So you want us to have some kind of awareness of what sets up you know, the fan to go on and what aligns the shit and that tendency to you want to see what's happening to you. That's the freedom, is awareness because it illuminates the hall. When you're on a consequential level, it's like being in a dark hall. You don't know the punch is coming until it hits you. And, now, and then it's all about how can I minimize the damage? That's what we call managing. To me, that's not managing at all. You know. So this is just an awareness that's ever-present in every moment. And for that awareness to be noted, we're conscious. Yeah? We can be conscious of the awareness, and if we are conscious of the awareness as a Paul, then that awareness will be infrequent. It will be based on what our head says. Did we do something that would allow that awareness to be known, like a retreat or whatever? Or are we working where that awareness, I never even not conscious at all when I'm at work. Yeah? So the mind plays God with the awareness when it believes it's conscious of it. When there's only consciousness of it, that's it. Yeah? Consciousness of awareness, that's it. It's when it's who's conscious of the awareness, that's what causes you to entertain you can be unconscious of it. But consciousness of awareness is it. That's the station in a sense. When you become a passenger, then you're on this ride of unconsciousness and consciousness. I'm getting more conscious or I'm getting less conscious. And it's all based on what you've done or had or what you didn't do and have. So you play God, really. But the bare bone thing is we're conscious and there's some, it's not a thing, but there's an awareness, let's say. It's like the, the ocean in the realm of fish. You know? We are in, we are an appearance in that awareness, and we, being conscious as this appearance, can become conscious of that. Yeah? 
The dilemma is when we become conscious of that as a body, as Paul. As soon as we become conscious of that as a body, it becomes something we can visit or not. So we can live as if we're totally unconscious of that awareness when it's all there is. Or we can live being conscious of that awareness. For me, I'd rather see there is no me that has that option, so it's like an optionless state. All there is is consciousness of that awareness. It's much easier. It takes you out of the steering seat, let's say. It takes you out of the uh, playing God role. See, most people, I was talking about this on Saturday, if God is, if, let's say God, quote-unquote God, whatever you want to call it, yeah, is everywhere, and we're not feeling it now, we're not sensing it, then, in a sense, we must be somewhere. We must be in a special somewhere that doesn't include everywhere. Which, in fact, is an impossibility, but we can make it seem so here. Yeah? So the special somewhere is identification as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the little gated community I live as. In this special somewhere, I don't experience a sense everywhereness. Now I can make a concept of everywhereness and have it in somewhere. But see, everywhere can't be put into somewhere. Yeah? Hey, come on in, folks. Hey, bring, bring a seat and sit down. Yeah, well, we were supposed to not have this meeting, but I guess we were wrong. So, so here's, yes? Oh, so there's this special somewhere entertaining the idea of everywhere. But you can't experience somewhere, everywhere, as a somewhere. It's a recognition there is no somewhere that's everywhere. Yeah? So, as identified as this, as the body, yeah, the brain, you're in a fixed reference point. You're a fixed position. I call it somewhere. Paul is here. Now, our concept that we've learned in, in our life of God is that it's everywhere. If it's everywhere, why aren't we running into it? What causes us to be immune to everywhere? Well, we're identified as a special somewhere. So, there's a made-up, gated community that has separated ourselves from everywhere, and now we're living in somewhere, Paul, and Paul may get an inkling to start trying to experience everywhere. So he reads books about everywhere and spiritual processes to get to everywhere. And, and it may take a couple of lifetimes, but if you purify your special somewhere, it will be suitable to know everywhere. But my belief is that's impossible. Because how could somewhere know everywhere? The only way somewhere can know everywhere is to recognize it's not somewhere. When it recognizes, I'm not somewhere, that's everywhere. That's exactly what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. This is a constant, stubborn taking of a position that I'm somewhere. I'm Paul. I'm in this body. I'm this and that. And I've located myself. And all day my thoughts locate me as a somewhere. This is Paul. This is the one constant in life that's been me. This, this habit of... De Demanding being a somewhere excludes everywhere. Yeah. You can't have a somewhere in everywhere. 
somewhere is obviously everywhere because everywhere's definition is it's everywhere. So your little special somewhere cannot exclude everywhere. You can only make it seem like it excludes everywhere, and how you're making it seem like it's excluding everywhere is you're not sensing everywhere at all. But in fact, you are sensing everywhere, but you're sensing everywhere as Paul, and you're calling it Paul, and it's not that. The solution is when I give up, when I give up that urge or that drive to be somewhere, and in that recognition that there is no somewhere, that's the everywhere. And obviously, if everywhere doesn't have a center, I mean, everywhere doesn't have a center, its center would be everywhere. Everywhere's center would be everywhere. So, and you can't be located in a special somewhere and everywhere that you're going to take a process to get to the center of everywhere, could you? Because the center is right where everywhere is, which is everywhere. So, the, the location or the access point to what's so is already located right where you think you are because you aren't there. You're not a special somewhere. And so there's no need for the special somewhere to, to take a journey to the center of everywhere because the center of everywhere is right where the special somewhere seems to be appearing. So what do you need to do? If you take a step, you're actually taking a step away. If you take a step towards, you're taking a step away. If you take a step away, you're taking a step away. Because every step from up somewhere to get to everywhere is the denial of the nature of everywhere, which is it's everywhere. <laughs> so, in a way, I hope I don't lose. No, it's just fun. It's fun to go. The thing is, the, the conditioned head, the mental process that has made up an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity called the self, which is a verb, really, selfing. Because the mental process is a process, so it's a verb. And it's processing information and representing information as if there's a self that's having the information, or as if there's a self that's having the life that's being presented. Yeah? It represents conscious contact with the interpretation that it's Paul that was in conscious contact. Paul is what's hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching. But in fact, that's not so. Part of that's, that idea of Paul is part of conscious contact. You're, you're actually in conscious contact of the Paul being made up by mental process. But now we're sort of ignorant of that. Yeah? So, because consciousness is constantly shining, and it sees the mental process of, of hijacking conscious contact, saying, I'm the one who's seeing, I'm the one who's feeling, I'm the one who's tasting, I'm the one who's touching, I'm the one who's smelling, I'm the one who's thinking. Yeah? But in fact, if you opened your eyes and you, there was a window there, and a bird went by, you'd see it. Yeah. And your head would say, I didn't want to see that bird, but in fact you saw it. Because the conscious contact is quicker than the interpretation of the mind, that it's you in conscious contact. But we are out cold, so to speak, so it got, keeps playing the same thing, and it doesn't do it every time. There's just a feeling that I'm the I that's having all the conscious contact. It's produced. It's not a natural. You're not, you're not uh, unbiasedly observing a sensation that says it's me that's having this contact. It's made up. It's part of the process of selfing. Yeah. So there in that selfing, the most important thing is for it to be relevant. Yeah. That's why if you weren't the doer and haver of your life, 
who would, whose life would it be anyway? The whole story, based on a mental process, is you're the doer and haver. That's how you get a sense that it's my life. Without that sense, you would realize very, very clearly through your own experience that this is not your life, it's just life happening. But because you have this persistent habit of a belief, I'm the doer and haver, then you think it's your life. So, when you get when you get introduced to truth, the special somewhereness takes the role of being the subject, and then the 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 everywhereness becomes an object in the somewhereness for the somewhereness to either entertain or not. So let's say that special object called everywhereness is God in, in a vernacular. And now it seems like it's up to you if you know God or not. Which God is really playing which? The mental process is playing God with the idea of God because it's really based on what you do or have if you're going to know that power called God. So I would say you're the higher power in that situation. So you say, I'm a special somewhere and I'm going to know everywhere and I'm going to do something and practice something to get to everywhere. Yeah? And I'm going to acquire everywhere and bring it back to my special somewhere and it should give me an advantage in the special somewhere because I'm the one who knows everywhere. Yeah, sounds good. But in fact, it's impossible because the special somewhere cannot go to everywhere as a special somewhere <laughs> because there is no special somewhere. All there is is everywhere. <laughs> But, see, when the admittance of all there is is everywhere occurs, you as an individual entity has no relevance. And that's the absence of you, and that's truly the presence of the Spirit. Literally. Yep. loving as the presence, not loving the presence. Once I start loving the presence, I've objectified it. Yeah? And then if I love an object, I will also hate an object. Because that's a dualistic constraints of interpretation here. It's got to be either or. There's got to be two sides of the coin. That's why a lot of people love someone here, and it, the relationship in time turns into a hateful one. Because you can't escape the duality or the dichotomy of this place. As long as you make that an object, the presence, you're going to hate it and love it. <laughs> Seriously. But if, if, you're loving, if you're loving as that, there's no second involved in that. Yeah? There's not a love and hate in that modality because it's of singularity. But everything that's appearing is of duality. This is of duality. So this is constrained by the, blue, the mental blueprint that's projecting a body. You can't escape it. So it's either or, yes or no, inhale, exhale, left ventricle, right ventricle, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, two eyes, two ears, two arms, yes, backward, forward, closer, farther, all that things, yes and no, are, we're all defined by that. And, if, and duality is, can be happening in a second or it can be years. So you can see the life of someone who is an addict and then gets recovered, 
recovered is a perfect dualistic expression. So they went way this way, the craziness, fucking up, this and that, and now they're going way into really nice and helpful to people. Yeah, it's a perfect example of two polarities. See? So the pendulum, everything here in interpretation is swinging. Some, and the only difference is in degrees of time. So you may not notice it. Yeah. But everything in mind appearing here is dualistic. When you see everything, after a while, after seeing it, you'll get the blueprint vision of it, which is everything is like low tide and high tide. But no, there's never a lack of water in the ocean. When it's low tide, there's not less water of the ocean. And when it's high tide, there's not less water of the ocean. It's just an appearance. So when appearances, there's always low and high. Yeah? I'm doing good. I'm doing bad. I'm feeling connected. I'm feeling disconnected. In interpretation, you can't escape that. You cannot find nirvana here. There is no utopia. It's impossible. Because it's an interpretation defined by a split mind. You cannot escape it because you're a product of that mental process. How can a product of a mental process escape the process? Self can't get out of self. You ever heard that? Self can't get out of self. Why not? Because self's a mental process. And to get out of self, you'd have to leave the mental process, but you can't leave it as a self. Because it's a product of the mental process. That's the whole point. You were never in self. That's your escape of the mental process. You are not the product of a mental process. You're the consciousness or the witness of that. Probably not the witness of it, but your potential to witness is available. But when you're identified as that, you become ignorant of what you truly are. So your consciousness, in a sense, gets turned away from being conscious of the awareness and becomes hyper-conscious of the body and, and the mental process. And, the, yeah. and then you become identified. See, it's like the scientist is looking through the telescope because the telescope facilitates him seeing the stars. Now, if you looked at a picture of the scientist looking at the telescope, the stars haven't actually come closer. It's just perception. Yeah? He looks at it through these certain set of lenses and it affords his vision to see the stars like if they're closer. Yes? So let's just say consciousness is manifesting or coming through. I don't say coming through because this is actually caused by consciousness. But let's just say consciousness comes through this telescope. Yeah? This is the interface into this what we call the world. And it comes through this telescope, and because of the, the way this is built, this is like a dualistic apparatus, it can see itself as other. Yeah? It can see itself as other. It can hear, feel, taste, smell, and touch itself as other. Yeah? As things, and trees, and wind, and everything like that. So consciousness, consciousness cannot have that experience of other except here, because consciousness is singularity. There's nothing other than consciousness. So there's no experience of other in consciousness except here. But unfortunately, when it moves through this telescope, the consciousness gets identified as the telescope. So you believe this is what seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and the mind, the mental process, reinforces it all day. Because you have a narrative of you seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching all day being played up in K-pop. So this thing keeps you reinforced the, the sense of being identified as a self. So the oneness forgets its oneness and gets caught up in the two-ness. And it suffers 
the condition of tunis, you know, which is you can have something and then lose it. You can really want something and never get it. You can have really had something great and lost it. You can pine away and look for love when you are the source of love. All these things can occur here. So, but the idea of the relevance of self is amazing because it doesn't want to know God except if, unless it's up to him or you or her to know it. You want your knowing God to be based on your doing and having or your lack of knowing God to be based on your not doing or having the right thing. What is that but playing God? So the mental process plays God in your pursuit of God. Because there's no pursuit of God, because God is everywhere and you are in that location. What is it that you have to do to need it? Absolutely nothing. Literally, absolutely nothing. And then, because the consciousness is so freaking obvious, that if, if God is everywhere, you're going to be conscious of it. <laughs> That's freaking simple. Unless your consciousness has been hijacked and put into like a made-up glove, and you forgot your hand quality, yes? And now everything you feel, taste, and touch, and smell, and think, or in this world, everything you feel is interpreted through the glove. So you're taking the glove's interpretation of this place, yeah? And the glove's interpretation of this place is going to be, let's say it's a coarse glove, it's going to be a coarse interpretation. You're going to say, everyone's out to get me, everyone sucks, and this and that. But it's all based on the fineness or coarseness of the glove. But what would happen if the glove would come off and then you'd actually touch? Let's say that that, uh, spiritual scripture in this world of sense of feeling only was like a description of what a rose petal feels like. And you go to, and then you spend so much time to get to these rose gardens, but every time you touch the rose petals with that glove, it doesn't translate to what you read. You talked about the softness of the rose petal, da-da-da, and you're like, you're not getting it, so it has to become a belief. You have no real experience, so now you believe in it, but you don't really have it in your gut. This is a like, fuck the beliefs. Take the glove off and then get the experience of this, or the intimation of the truth by what? Being conscious of it. Hopefully as it. Because, uh, like I said before, if you're conscious of it as this, it can be absent in your life. It can come when you think you did enough things to bring it about, and then it will seem to have gone when you haven't done enough things that you believe you needed to do to bring it closer. But that's the playing of relevance. That, to me, is mind playing God. So it tries to create distance and mileage and maps about how special somewhereness can get to that nirvanic everywhereness. When in fact, all the maps and all the distance and all this space and all the journeys and all the travel brochures and all the spiritual travel agents and all like this are totally <laughs> pointless because you are exhibiting everywhereness right where you are. You just have to tell the truth about the special somewhereness. I'm not that. And then the everywhereness doesn't have to be produced, it's already so, it's recognized. There's nothing you do. That's the beauty of it. If there was something you do, did, then, it would, then if you didn't do it, you wouldn't go there. You'd still be playing God as a special somewhere. This is the true humility. This is the true self-forgetting. This is the true dying to that self. And then you're reborn. So the special somewhereness dies to you, and then you, you're reborn as, you're not born, but you're reborn into the recognition of the everywhereness. 
that you represent. And once, once the consciousness is, is confronted with the obviousness, it just becomes more obvious to it. Yeah? Once it starts coming out of the trance, there's no stopping it. It's like, it's like a, it's not like a slow extraction of the head coming out of the self's ass. It's a pop, boom, you know. And then the obviousness of conscious, being conscious, yeah, and then realizing all the hist- all the little mental stories that have been written about you and all this and all that have absolutely no influence whatsoever unless you believe them. Yeah, but you have to believe them as a special somewhere. Because they're all about a special somewhere. If you're the consciousness, you can see the mind believing it, but that doesn't mean you're believing it anymore. And you can see the mind denying it, and that's not you denying it either. Yeah? Because the relevance of the mind will keep writing itself into the story. It will actually, truly submit to you every day that it's the reason why you know something or don't know something. And if it is, then it has more power than the thing you want to know. So I just throw that thing you want to know away and admit the true power that you're under, which is that mind. But there is a higher power, like we talk about in recovery, that's greater than what? Self. And I believe you're sitting right in it now. Yeah? So, I have a lot of questions, but I can't be the first one to ask my mind. So, um... Here's the answer. Too many questions. <laughs> you got caught in the pause. You see? That's the place. Okay, so, okay, do, from what you're saying, is the body real? Is the body Only real? if it is if to you. If the body is real, then, then we're separate from the everywhere, right? That's right. So the body's not real then? Well, that's for you to find out. Okay, so here's my question. So, if we're stuck in that, like, I'm God thinking, which I think I've done a lot and still do a lot. Um, what, where is the consciousness at that time? It's witnessing those thoughts that I'm the, I'm the God that's thinking. Without consciousness, you wouldn't be aware of that. In other words, all the appearances of all your machinations of the head, for there to be knowledge of them, there has to be light to see them. That's the consciousness. The consciousness is the light. So it sees your head going, playing God. It doesn't intrude on it, because it doesn't intrude on anything. It just sees that's its nature. So what happens at those points when we have those spiritual experiences? What is it that happens during those times? Well, I think a spiritual experience is after the fact. I think there's an interruption in the selfing. There's a startling, and so the selfing stops sufficiently where there's living going on unadorned by selfing as the predominant tape. And so let's say you have an epiphany. You know, epiphany occurs. I want to ask you a humble question. Have you ever made a reservation for an epiphany? No. You don't know when it's coming to you. It just something interrupts your little selfing, and then maybe it lasts for an hour, maybe two hours, maybe whatever, five minutes or ten minutes. And when does it end? Usually it ends when, exactly, the thoughts arise and go, I just had this incredible spiritual experience. That's when the epiphany ends, yeah. There you have it. So, the epiphany, let's say, is 
in the word we're using God as now, the epiphany is a demonstration of God. And then the prior God arises and claims it, and it becomes the superior God. So now the revelation of God becomes a spiritual experience yourself has. That's how it neuters the event. So it becomes a spiritual experience, and then maybe you may be so inclined in the selfing that you'll now try to gather or, or uh, uh, accumulate spiritual experiences. Yeah? But always it will be the self as God claiming the spiritual experiences, which is new as the whole example of a spiritual experience, which is there is no one to experience it. <laughs> really, if your eyes are open, that's what's actually happening. There's no one who ever experienced it. There's a story about you experiencing it, but that's when it ends. <laughs> they coincide perfectly, you see. When it ends, the story begins. <laughs> I think the story has a lot to do with it, seemingly ending, because epiphany really doesn't have a beginning and an end. It has it here in time, but it's a timeless event. It's not constructed in time. We interpret it in the time construction. Yeah? We put a bookend in front of it and behind it saying, oh, I was there before, and I went to that waterfalls, and then something happened, quote-unquote, the epiphany, and now I'm just calling up my friends and comparing my epiphany with someone they had. So those are the two bookends of selfing that take this timeless event and, 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 and sew it into the time fabric of your continual story of Paul. So if you have a number of them, your, your story will turn into a spiritual one. Yeah. But it'll still be selfing. You'll have the seamstress of selfing Sewing whatever shows up, it uses it in the quilt. So if it's an epiphany, it's in there. Yes, yes. And then you wear it around like a badge. Yeah. But that's but that's the that's that to me is the re-arising of the of the self. It becomes dominant. The example or the or the revelation of God is undermined immediately. So who's playing God? Yeah, to me, the selfing's playing. It makes, hold on a second, it makes your sense of God very, very interrupted and infrequent. It does. That's what it does. Because it doesn't, it's like the God of the Old Testament, you know, it doesn't brook any God in front of it. Selfing does, is a jealous fucking motherfucking <laughs> God. It'll smoke you, and if you don't do what it says to do, it's, don't put another God before me. It's, it just sounds just like my head when I read the Old Testament, though I don't read the Old Testament. But when I hear about it, it sounds, jeez, that sounds just like me. They, call that, they were calling that God. Well, I was obviously, I wasn't calling this God, but I was living as if it was God, which is worse. Because at least if you're calling it God, you have a sense of it not being you. But when you're living as it, and it's playing God, jeez, man. Yeah.
it's very humbling to be everywhere. It's different when you're thinking you're somewhere. Because then somewhere else has to be somewhere else. And all degrees arise. And I'm on a higher plateau or a lower plateau. And all these differentiations get to appear. And then your mind plays them like John Coltrane would play some notes riffing on my favorite things. Your head just riffs on the theme of being separate. And it's going on for 80 years. <laughs> just playing that horn of separation. And uh, it can, you know, make it seem like a tragic event. It can make it seem like, oh, whatever. Or I can at the last note wake up and go, Jesus, all these notes were crazy. And all this can happen here. But only here. Because here, let's just like here. How can you have the realization you're not a body? You must first thought you were a body. There wasn't a one to think that you were a body, but there was a thinking that there was a body, and then there's a realization I wasn't the body. But without the thinking there was a body, there would be no realization I'm not the body. Yeah? So everything here is dualistically constructed. Yeah? So there's the sense of being a body, which is one side of duality, and then there's a the realization I'm not the body. But what's not the body doesn't need a realization of not the body because it knows it's not the body. Yeah, it's singularity. It can know no other but itself. Yeah? So it's all knowing. But in duality, it can become identified as a body and then in duality, it can sort of wake up from that and realize I'm not the body. Hallelujah. It's a pretty nice little game to play. Yeah? But it seems like if you get rid of those bookends, the download would be so overwhelming that it would just like short circuit. Well, it could possibly be that, but in fact, well, I don't know what will happen. But there won't be anyone there for it to happen to. <laughs> well, that's good news. Okay, so, and your earlier point where you're saying you're, you're moving, looking for this, it goes back to your example of St. Francis, where what's looking is actually here. So each step you take forward, you're actually, you're simply part of it. I guess what fascinates me, Paul, is like you've obviously had some sort of significant, you know, moment. You struggled to bring this message to us. It's almost a physical uh, effort every week, and I always feel like it's just out of reach somehow. To who? That's the thing. <laughs> no matter how the message seems to be going, just add a little more. Just. You don't have to say to who, but take it a little farther, because there's an implied sense of being a somewhere that's holding it. So just see it. If there isn't, if that somewhere isn't somewhere, that's everywhere. Well, I, I get where you say, okay, ask who's the meditator, and yeah. why do they want to find this? I, I get that, but there still seems to be like that's a stupid question to ask. But I just kind of wonder, like, what would a day like be with your what, what's the big difference that's going on there? Is it that there really is? There's no, no difference for me, but to see the, the days forgotten may be quicker. You know what I mean? In other words, in a sense, it's like an optionless thing. I can't even put my hand back there because it's bye-bye. I can't even send my mental hand, my thoughts back there to grab something because it's bye-bye. So it, it's almost like any... Looking ahead is forced in a way because there's nothing to look behind. <laughs> there's nothing there. And then 
<laughs> the future has this incredible quality. It's not happening. And if you really get pragmatic, there's a recognition it's not happening. And so all your interest and attention about it sort of gets dismissed from it, basically on that one fact, it's not happening. <laughs> so now, what draws your attention has to have one quality, it's happening. <laughs> so you start having an immunity to what's not happening. And yesterday ain't happening, nor is like a minute ago, and tomorrow, what's going to happen tonight isn't happening. And so there's like a, like the cloudy vision is being cleared, Everyone has vision, let's say. Everyone is seeing. But it's what's occurring is because of the identification. I'm going to have trouble seeing soon. It's getting dark in your <laughs> Everyone is basically seeing. <laughs> so let's, let's say it gets darker. Darker, yeah, in here. The seeing would seem not to have any use, so you'd be looking. You'd be looking for the light, and you'd be looking from memory to try to remember what this room looked like. Yeah? And so your response to how am I going to get to the bathroom would be based on the last time I was here when the lights were on, which was, let's say, last week. Yes? And so now the scene isn't working because it's dark, so now you've got to rely on looking, which is like ways of life, looking this way, looking, book learning, all this stuff are ways of looking that are taking the darkness as a reality. What we're saying here is all the problems are based on the darkness. The darkness is just absence of light. So the seeing is light when it's not identified with a you that's looking. When the you that's looking is, is like the modus operandi, it sufficiently blocks you off from acknowledging the seeing. So all we're doing is questioning, am I the one that's looking? If you're not the one that's looking, that's the scene. Yeah? So immediately, if the lights came on here, I wouldn't need to go into my past memories of where was the bathroom? How did I get there? How am I going to get around and not hurt and hit anybody? Where are my knee pads to protect me from those chairs? I wouldn't need them. Why? Because I could see where I was going. That's what this is. There's a natural state of seeing that we're in. Yet, when we're identified as this, we're looking for it. Yeah? So, when we're identified as this, I'm busy looking for what's actually looking, which is seeing. Seeing is what's looking. Yeah? But when there's a you looking for it, the you looking for it is the blockage to recognizing the seeing. Because you are what you're looking for, but not as the one who's looking. Yeah? You're the seeing. So, either... There's the identification as body is being taken to be me, or it's the consciousness of the body that I'm taking to be me. When you take the consciousness of the body as you, that's seeing. When you take the body as what's conscious, that's looking. Yeah? So now the consciousness, seen as the body, is looking for the consciousness not identified as the body. They're in the same location, which is everywhere, and they're happening and appearing at the exact same moment, one is timeless, which is all there is is the seeing, and one is time, I'm the one that's looking. Yeah? But when the I, the one that's looking, is occurring here in time, there's always the timeless seeing available. But not to the one that's looking. Because you are the seeing, but not as the one that's looking. You are as that, but not in its functioning. As looking, it hides the seeing that you naturally are, and so am I. 
When that is seen through, that's the natural seeing. Now it can appear to be looking, but you're not fooled by the appearances. Because the seeing doesn't get fooled by looking, unless it's been clothed in looking. Seriously. So the seeing is clear and concise, and then things become obvious, like what's not happening obviously loses a lot of emphasis in your life, because there's something going on called what's happening that tends to seem to be much more what's happening than what's not happening. Yeah? And so you're driven, basically, in a simple recognition of either or, what's happening and what's not happening. I think, you know, I would rather sort of interface with what's happening than to be interfaced with what's not happening. And it's not thinking. You don't think of it. It's not like something, I want to take this as a path. It just shifts. You just go, fuck. You see the valuelessness of tending to what's not happening. Because you can't tend to tend to it by your body. You can't tend to it by your presence. You can only tend to it by thought. The only thing that causes the future and the past to seem to appear is thought. Thought is it. You cannot, you cannot access the future with the body nor the past. You cannot transport yourself. You can't airlift the body into the future. Let's say you tried and they had a picture of the future, you wouldn't be there. You would be in what's happening. And so no matter how much you're thinking about the future, it's happening now. No matter how much you're thinking about the past, it's happening now. So what's happening overrides what's not happening. Actually, what's not happening isn't included in what's happening, yes? But what's not happening is like a special somewhere in the everywhereness of what's happening. It doesn't exist, but it can exist to you as a thought. It cannot exist to you as you are. It exists, it exists to you as a thought because you are actually the original what's not happening as a body and a brain. You are not happening as this. <laughs> this is not what's happening. This is like the interface to this place, but you are not this. There's no fucking way. So it gets obvious, that's all. Hey, can you put on a light, bro? Oh, no, I will. Hold on. Because it's not getting obvious anymore. Exactly, because see, that's what happens. It's sort of like the glove and the hand in that picture. The glove is like thoughts, yes? An interpretation of feelings, which is usually through thought. They come, and then you forget the hand, and now you're touching life by thoughts. It's sort of like every time you meet what's happening, the tentacles of, what, of the parasite of what's not happening touches everything and translates it into what's not happening. 
and there's something missing in that kind of life. It's called life. You're missing. <laughs> it may not seem like much, but it's a big deal to some. I mean, if you're here, you might as well actually be here. You know, try it out. See what's going on. Yeah. Don't take this. Don't don't take this. The word of this, please. And don't waste any time trying to convince this. It's unconvincible. It can be thoroughly convinced, and five minutes later, it's unconvinced because it's dualistically contrived. Yeah. So it has the what it calls the ability to be convinced, but it's only in the dualistic terminology where it has to be. It can also be easily unconvinced. That's not being convinced. To believe with certainty is being convinced. And this has no certainty in it, none whatsoever. Its certainties are all passing and on, on sand, yes? But to believe with certainty is something else in you. I don't know what. It's an aspect of mind, but it acknowledges in a sober moment what's actually going on here. And it makes a big effect on it. And maybe just then you get weaned off of the tit of what's not happening and you start drinking the milk of what's being offered here. And then you, then blue becomes blue and red's red and things become obvious. Yeah. You don't need as much guidance as you think, really. You really don't. You have the ability to sort of, to know what's appropriate or not for you. Like when you were a kid, I didn't have to be told I was having fun playing with Wayne Griffith, you know, with Army Men. I did it every day for years. There was no, you know, you had an incredible discernment. You knew when you were doing something you liked or you were doing something you didn't like. There was no big thought about it. Yeah, you had that sense. What happened? We outgrew a lot of stuff. We grew into another form of living here, which isn't living. It's interpretation. One organ took over the whole show. And it's not, not your dick, you know, it's your head. The dick took over. I mean, this sometimes, you know, represents the head, but the head's taken over. Seriously. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Thinking is used for everything here. Thinking is good when you're building a chair. That aspect of thinking is fine, but it's gone off the tracks when you constantly are going over and over and over what can never be undone. By thought. You can't go, you cannot redo here. You can't call a stop to the, you know, the play and have all the actors and actresses leave the stage and then get the director over and say, hey, I'd like to have him say something else. And I don't want to do that entrance. Hey, too late, man. It's one take takes all here. One take and it happens. Why would you want to revisit it when it's not happening with thoughts? Can't you just. If you realize you're the station, you won't get on those trains of thought. You won't. You'll see them coming and going. And you'll see the sign, local to hell or express to hell. And then you'll just, you'll just stay as the station stays, which is a witness to all trains, but it doesn't become a passenger to any of them. Yeah. You see it, but you don't have to get on it and become identified as the one who saw it. Yeah. Because it's much... See, if a train starts picking up speed, it's going to hurt the longer you're on it if you jump off. If you get, if you get off it before it even starts, that's fine. Yeah? But if you jump off it when it's going 10 miles per hour, you may get bruised a little. If you jump off 30 miles per hour, you're going to get a couple broken legs. 50, you may get killed. Yeah? So a lot of people, they have no awareness 
the, the, it's like a bullet train by the time they realize something's fucking not happening. <laughs> and then, you know, they turn the emergency brake and everything goes to hell and they go flying and they're hurt and they wreck relationships and, oh, I came to my senses, but pretty late, it was like, you know, this is more about, all right, the 3.30 train to hell's coming by, bye-bye, <laughs> there's, the, uh, there's the fake bus to Nirvana, no, I won't get on that. And then you realize it's in the being the station is the freedom. You don't have to get on any train. I see all the trains. Yeah? All the trains come and go. You don't have to get them on. Get on. Because why? You're located, finally. You're not easily... Uh, the roots to what's happening aren't easily broken by the allure of what's not happening. Yeah? Because it's a false tree and false fruit. And you only sours in time here, doesn't it? You know, you may have a fantasy of someone, but then everyone you meet in your rest of life gets measured by that fantasy. So what actually is happening gets soured by what's not happening. So you must be pledging allegiance to what's not happening to sour all that's happening. You have an idea of beauty and ugliness. Man, it's so crazy. eh? When you were a kid, did it matter if your mother was super fat and ugly? You loved her no matter what. Now, if, you know... If I had the head that I had when I was in my 30s, when, when I was a kid with my mother, I was, would have been embarrassed by her. <laughs> Jesus, don't come, Ma. I don't want you to, anyone to see you. And I just ran and loved her every day because I didn't see her as a body. There was no idea of beauty and ugliness yet. Yeah, it wasn't set up. It had it cemented. It was freedom. Yeah, and you, the wonder and awe. Does it always have to be just as a child? Of course not. But like they say, it's, you have to have a childlike view. Yes? Childlike view is like appearing in duality, but it's looking from singularity quite a lot. We're not seeing from singularity anymore. We're, we're hook, line, and sinker in this. Now we're looking, away, we're looking for ways to, to, to improve the way we live instead of just realizing every way of looking, in a sense, is a form of blindness here to your seeing. Because there's someone who's putting on the next pair of glasses, the next turbocharged Buddhist thing, or the next this and the next that, and hoping that this new pair of glasses is going to allow me to see better. But you're seeing beautifully, but not as what's looking. Yeah. What made hell hell to you? The awareness of it. You were aware of the thoughts and all that suffering and all that insanity going on. The stage was lit by consciousness all the time. That's what we were trying to obliterate. We wanted relief from awareness. Yeah? And yet, that awareness is our freedom, but not as a self. Yeah? Awareness as a self will blow you up, really. It will, for sure. Because maybe you'll start living a day every day, and you know how many... Every day, you have thousands of sensations happening in your body. That thing of thinking this has been the solid fall is thrown out the window in five minutes of observation of the body. It feels differently all the time. Where when I was out there using, I thought I just this was just a body and it was the transportation my head was using. Now there's consciousness of all movements of body going on constantly. It's like a living, like it can be an overwhelming event to a you. That's why I think the you is about, it's like a muffler. The you is like something to tamp all things down. It can't take this stimulation. Yeah? So it, 
it freeze dries and stuff. And it says, I'm just going to see everything from the past, so I won't be overwhelmed by all this information. I'll just keep, as soon as new information is presented, I'll just refer back to the old information. Yeah? I'll new to the new information and rely on the old information. So instead of having everything is being refelt and rethought and rehashed and represented, there is conscious contact, but it gets represented as I'm in conscious contact. There's total representation. Yeah. There's an event that happens, you meet someone, but now it just becomes, oh, that reminds me of this time I met someone else. So you immediately say no to this and say yes to that, and then yet becomes this. Yeah? The that of memory becomes the, this moment. Hmm? Yeah. And it's not that rewarding for some. It really isn't. So you get high, you try to do other things, you want to inject some fucking life into you. Because it feels like you're going out cold. I don't feel, I have no problem with the drives I had to get out of this place. I just thought the the direction I was looking at was from self. So that was the dilemma. But those feelings of something's wrong here was, I never, never in my life would invalidate them. They were pretty good indicators that something was amiss. Yeah? So, so that idea of the special somewhere, trying to know everywhere, you have to realize how pointless it is. Because obviously, if everywhere is what it is, then that special somewhere is actually everywhere. <laughs> but not as a special water. somewhere. <laughs> you talked about water, that there's plenty of water. Yeah. But my mind keeps telling me this, I'm running out. That's the thing, your mind's telling you. But you're not that. That's the mind trying to get in the skylight, or through the cellar, or through the side door. It's, it's, like, it's like a fisherman dropping bait into the ocean of consciousness, a bait about past or future or importance or specialness. And then the consciousness once again becomes identified as this and bites into that bait, yes? And then you become the fish called Paul. And now that desire's got me or that aversion's got me or this memory's got me or this old idea I'm a loser got me. And then you dance on a puppet stage without any awareness of the strings. You're thinking it's your legs and all. But it's all fabricated. It's all a mental process. What occurs is if that bait goes down in the water and there's no taking it, then you don't become the historical fish. So it doesn't stop the bait from being dropped. Mind will do what it does. Yeah, it will present thoughts. It will, it will interpret feelings. It will constantly look at life from a self-centered position, but that doesn't include you. You can be free from it by, you know, just seeing it. And the thing is, every horse you've gotten on in this life, you've always had to get off. Why do you want to get on anymore? Might as well just stay at the stable, stay at the station, just stop taking these train rides. If you think you have free will, exert it, you know. Say no. I don't even do that. I just don't believe there's a Paul to say yes or no to the station. I don't believe any impression or sense of Paul can override the fact that I'm the station. That's all it is. I have been convinced that 
this thing is totally irrelevant. So it has no power to sway me or take me or make me into anything unless I believe it. Yes? There's no I believing it unless there's that belief. Well, that belief has been... <coughs> A revelation has been produced, has been offered to that belief, and the belief saw the obviousness of it. So, it's, it's the station, that's that. And what's great is I can watch a lot of people thinking they're passengers on the train, and I don't have to get on any of those trips. <laughs> I can hear all the calamities and the great highs of being on a train ride, but I sure like the peace of being the station. Yeah, I like that stability. I like that constancy. I really like that total reliance on it because it's optionless. It's choiceless. You are that. There's no getting around it. So when you talk about being on the train, it does, it, is that like um, also just like uh, thinking, like um, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that? For, I, I, I'm thinking while you're talking, I'm thinking about how difficult it is for me to uh, meditate because my mind is constantly thinking, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, like all these agendas, things yeah. that I gotta do. And uh, so, how do you overcome that? I don't. I just don't meditate. <laughs> <laughs> And so I did this, and I kept doing it. And I mean, it was suffering. 
I got a little more strategized. I sat near the flap at the end because once I got stuck way in the back and I was, I swore I would have made a pact with the devil to get me out of there. I was dying. And so, just let me out. And I just, it was just, it was all the socialization that kept me in there. I, just, I was just going, get out of here. and just so crazy. But I made it through the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I learned my lessons when I was birthed in a, you know, about and then, you know, but the reason why I felt like I stayed was I was trying to get something, you know, something, something, this is going to, you know, make me better or somehow purify myself, whatever. And I have, a, I had this strong inclination in me to put up with a lot of shit with the hopes that I was going to get spiritually advanced. So a few years later, after... A few years later, I, there was no event. I don't know what happened, but certain things changed, and I was doing these workshops. And my friend, he was an American guy. He, him and his other American friends were getting involved with Native American Indian stuff. But they were going to have one in Novato, in the backyard of some guy. But they built the they built the tent, and they brought an Indian from Oklahoma. I don't know how they got him. They brought him over there, and they had all this food and, and cans of soda and stuff outside. And we were going to have a sweat. So my friend wanted me to support him, so I went there. So then they start setting up, and then we all went in to the sweat. And it starts getting warm, because the guy's throwing water, and they're doing prayers, and throwing herbs. And as soon as I recognized it was hot, I just said, I got up and left. I just walked right out. You know what I mean? There was no thought of it at all. I said, this is hot. And I just got right out. <laughs> now I'm outside. And all these guys are sweating it out. No one's out there. I'm eating the food. <laughs> it's quite nice, yeah? What happened? A few years ago, I would have sat in there and fucking suffered and everything. But nope. As soon as I feel, hey, this is uncomfortable. Bye. <laughs> That's sort of what it's like. You lose. You, the, the need to be liberated is given up. Because there's nothing to be liberated. There is no one to be liberated. Seriously. There's no need to be saved here. There's nothing to be saved. And you're not lost to have to be found. You're not. To me, it's pointless. So it changes how you travel here in all peculiar ways. And you'll know the tree by the fruit as you travel. You'll be aware of, hey, things have changed. I have no interest in certain things I was very interested in. And, you know, I won't go out of my way to go see anyone unless I want to go see them. And I usually don't want to see them. Yeah, so things change a lot. Yeah? And what happened? I have no idea. But the, the load got a lot lesser. Yeah? Because for me, in a sense, what I noticed is my absence is what I call the presence. Yeah? And this is a weird thing, but you can verify your true absence by your constant seeming presence here. It's a weird thing, but listen again. You can verify your absence by the constant perceptual presence you express. When you look, you see your body, right? You see this body. That's the perfect reason why you're not this. Because everything that appears here cannot be it. What you are truthfully is not what's appearing here. So if you are identified as what's appearing here, this presence actually is the total signification of its absence. And that's the traveling of the presence. Literally. By you just seeing how much you seem to be here, that means you're actually not. <laughs> so you can actually use 
So here, this I feel so present, and that actually informs me that I'm absent. Because the truth doesn't seem to be able to be seen, heard, felt, tasted, and touched. Does it? But this sure can. So I would say, this is a presence in the appearance, and the appearance is the absence of what is truly so. So by me recognizing this presence, that is truly the recognition, the recognition of its absence. And that's the real presence. The hugeness within the oldness. Hmm? The hugeness within the oldness. So there, this is not appearing here. This is appearing here, so it cannot possibly be me. Because me, what the truth is, is not in the appearance. Yes? So like one great master said, whatever can be perceived cannot perceive. So, I can perceive this, yeah? I can perceive thoughts. I can perceive you as the body. I can perceive these chairs. In a sense, here, that is the proof you're not that to me. Yeah? So, my experience of you verifies you're not that because I cannot experience the truth. You can't experience the truth. So, if you can experience you, you ain't the truth as that. It's a another way of getting to it, but, yeah? So, in a sense, your presence, this presence verifies your absence, and that's the real presence, yeah? So, your presence verifies your true absence as this, and that's the presence. <laughs> yeah? So your presence, yes. all day, yes, all day, all day in time, you seem to be present in, quote-unquote, your light. Every day, that presence can actually lead you to entertaining the absence of you, and that's the real presence. Yeah? The real presence is absence of all appearance. That's the real presence. It's absent of all appearance. It's truly nothing, or the void, or the emptiness. It's empty of what? Inherent existence. It's empty of what? Appearance. So, when you sense the appearance, think about the appearance, feel the appearance, all that stuff that's verifying this is the truth, is also can verify this is the absence of the truth. Yeah, it's just so, the way you look at it, eh? So that would be nonness, not oneness. That's right, nonness without a first. But if you have that moment... That's exactly right, nonness without a first. Oneness with a, without a second is duality. Self, non-self is duality. This is more like the point position of neutrality between the poles of duality. So there's no self and there's no non-self. It's just neutral point. Yeah? But if you have that moment, you're always struggling to want to recreate it again. Well, because there's the idea that you had the moment. So it's not as soon as the idea that you had the moment is, is, is attached to, then you, as the one who had the moment, look for it. But you didn't have the moment. <laughs> so then what is recognition? Recognition is just that. You didn't have the recognition. It's just recognition. But if you, if you reached that point where mm-hmm. you were able to remove that self, you would just be in, like, bliss all the time. No? Who says that? Because you're Neutrality isn't bliss. It doesn't have to be bliss because bliss can have another opposite to it. 
It's void of those opposites. And recognizing is what happens here because it's a recognizing. So this can recognize, but it doesn't imply there's a you that's recognizing. Yeah. That's right. Awareness. Or it's not itself. Hmm? Yeah, or the neither of them. There's God. an attorney to it that just hmm? there's an attorney to it that just takes you to a completely different place. So you're neither here or not here. It's simply Well what I, what I feel it is, I don't I don't want to we'll go into this a little bit, but I don't need to record it. Because this is just, this is just speculation. But 